You're listening to the Sunday podcast from LifePoint Church in Santan Valley, Arizona. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. For more information, visit us online at lifepointaz.com. All right. We're in Hebrews 5, Hebrews 5, and we're in this series on fasting. And this week, uh, we're going to begin our corporate fast as a church. I'll explain that in a little bit here about what we're going to call you into. And uh, each week, it'll get progressively more difficult. So uh, if you just want to really skip out on the hard parts, don't show up in February at all. (laughs) We'll also take note of that, so don't. uh... (laughs) Hebrews 5, 8. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. He learned obedience through the things which he suffered, although he was a son. You know, for me as a father with a son of my own, I can tell you one of the hardest things is to discipline and look into the eyes of your child and see brokenness, see repentance, and yet know that discipline still needs to be there, right? To drive the point home, to make sure that they understand the severity of their actions, to, to make sure that they get your heart, the Father's heart. And I just got to have one of these instances with my son yesterday, and I love my boy to death. And unfortunately for him, he's so much like me. A lot of pride, a lot of unfounded confidence. <laughs> Where'd you get that confidence? Just born with it, I guess. And, uh, and so he, he's hysterical, but uh, there was one of these moments I'd ask him not to do something, and it was dangerous, and jumping on a motorcycle that we have, and it's going to fall over on him. And, it's not, and so he walked in and forgot and jumped up, started to climb up on it, started to tip, scared me half to death. And the idea and the thought of the damage and how badly he could be hurt scares you, right? When you see your kids as a parent, it's, it, it could care less about the bike if that thing fell over on top of them. All you care about is your child. And so I had to take him and I had to correct him and bring him close to me and firmly, firmly let him hear my heart. That he is not to touch it, he is not even to look at it when he walks into the room. If his friends are over and they ask to see it, he is to forbid them and then cast them away. I'm being a little funny here, but I was not funny then. I was very deadly serious as I said these things. And I just kept repeating, do you hear me? Am I being clear to you? Because I would be beyond broken to have something silly like this hurt you. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. You know, last week I had talked on this and talked on the temptation of Christ in the wilderness and then ended a little bit on this idea of suffering and the culture of the American church being one more of comfort than suffering. And I also said that if uh, by 2021 we are in a church who has embraced this idea, I don't know how long I would be here. Well, that seems to have caught a lot of your attention and I had numerous emails and Facebook messages, phone calls, text messages, personal appearances, and... uh, I did, however, follow it up with, I'm not leaving, I don't plan on leaving, I'm not called to leave, I love this valley, I love this place. And that's the truth, and 100% the truth. I don't, what I'm saying is this, 
If I was meant just to teach, if I was meant just to be a teacher, to educate you what's on what's in this book, then I would go be a professor at a college. That's what I would do. If that's what my calling was, if that's what God had put on my heart, I would go and I would be a professor and I would teach what is in this book to people who want to know what's in this book. But that's not what God has called me to do. God has called me to make disciples and to shepherd people and to evangelize to the lost, to those who don't know what's in this word and don't know they need it and don't know they want it, to show them they need it and to show them that they're blind without it. And that's what I've been called to. Unfortunately, the church in America has taken on the form more like a classroom where all the people who are already bought in, already interested, show up and we just teach you. And sometimes we teach you out of this. Sometimes we teach you out of whatever the pastor thinks is a neat message. And we've lost the call and the drive to enter into deep discipleship. The church has become a place for converts more than it is for disciples. And you see, a convert is someone who says, you know what, okay, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to go this way now. Cool. Do you know anything involved in that decision? Do you understand what's required of you? Do you understand the cost and the pain and the suffering that is set before you with that decision? No, I just know that I don't have to go to hell now. And I've seen the pictures and it doesn't look like a nice place. See, Jesus never, ever set up his church for converts. He set it up for disciples. He set it up to save the lost, the broken, the needy, the desperate, the hopeless, the wicked, the wicked. And the church, we've turned that on its head over the last few hundred years in America. And we've made it a comfortable place for the Christian to come and learn and sing some songs. And I... What I meant is, I don't want to do that anymore. (laughs) Not that I don't want to, is that I can't. I can't do it. I can't because it's not what God has called me to do. I've been called to make disciples and to reach the lost and evangelize the lost and teach to people who haven't heard the word and give them what is sometimes difficult concepts in this book and help them understand them so they could see it's actually not difficult. And that's what God is passion in my heart to do and I can't do it alone and I can't do it with the few pastors we have I we can only do it if we're unified as one and we're going to constantly have new people coming in here we've probably got new people here this morning and you're hearing this and we're so glad you're here with us this morning and and we hope that you'll hear these words and know that you're welcome we have people in here this morning right now I know you don't know the Lord or have a relationship with God and I hope this morning you can see the value the need You could lay down pride. You can lay down the things that you have been telling yourself for the reasons you haven't submitted your life to God. I'm hoping by the end of this service this morning that if that's you, you might hear from the Holy Spirit and give your life to him. But what God has really burdened me with is this picture, this image. Imagine... So Pastor David from uh, Living Streams, you guys, many of you have seen him preach up here. He preached up here a couple months ago. Good friend of mine. He wrote an email that I didn't get to actually see the email until after third service last Sunday, even though he had wrote it, wrote it, written it a, a few weeks earlier. And then it's about a dream that God gave him at 2 a.m. on Sunday morning. And he said, it came in the, in the vein of Jonah going to Nineveh. 
He said, we weren't supposed to be scared, and the message isn't meant to strike fear in anyone's heart. In fact, the whole time I I was receiving this message, uh, there was a sense of peace and opportunity and a hope and excitement. And so he said, so before I say it, just know that. Then he goes on to say exactly what it is, and it's that 2020 is a year of repentance for the church, that 2020 is a year of grace that God is bestowing, because beginning in 2021, there's going to be a shaking in America. It says it will be financial in nature. There will be attacks, terrorist-type attacks on the homeland. There will be public uh, shootings and school shootings, and, and they will increase in nature, and there will be a shaking And the purpose of it and what God was showing him is, again, not to be fearful or not to be scared, but to be prepared as his church, to be prepared. Many of you in here, most of you in here, remember 9-11. Remember what the country was like for the six months to a year after that? Churches were full. People were seeking and asking and needed direction, needed hope, asking why. You see, what happens when you get comfortable for as long as we've been comfortable is you no longer need to know why because the answer to why might make you uncomfortable. And so you just don't want to rock the boat and then something like that happens and now you don't have a choice. You don't have a choice anymore. Now you've just been ripped out of your comfort by an event that was outside of your control. And you're desperately looking for reasons why and answers, and you're trying to understand it. And here's the thing, and here's why I look at what David said, is if all of these things begin to happen in America, the reason it's hope and opportunity and excitement is because it is going to bring people to the Lord. They're going to come, and they're going to be broken and desperate, and they're going to want to know this thing that I felt that I knew or I didn't need to know is actually the answer for me understanding who I am, why I was created. And if we are not prepared for that, if, if we're not prepared, just us here, not the church as a whole, I'm just talking us, and those people will come in and they will just see a bunch of ordinary people who have who claim to worship a supernatural God, and yet there is nothing different about them. They don't say hi to me. They don't love me. They bicker. They complain about the music, the coffee, the chairs, the preaching, the parking. I heard some of them talking about leaving because they didn't like someone. Well, what's that? I thought you're family. I thought you guys are family. You see what I mean? This is just a very, very, very small example of being unprepared to have an influx of people who don't know the Lord begin to come into this place. And so my charge, what God has shown me, is to prepare. I said this last week, you'd be the most cruel general in the world to take a room full of people who have zero practice on the battlefield, zero preparation, and to just send them out. Go ahead. And so everything we're doing as pastors and leaders and the volunteer leadership and an elder board is centered around this year preparing the hearts of the people. Imagine for a minute, we, you, we live in a Christian country, right? We live in a Christian country. 
Imagine for a minute, rather than uh, you being in a community and knowing people where they're mostly believers, you lived in a place in this earth where you and two or three other people were the only believers. That's it. How would that change your daily life? How would it change your daily routine? How would it affect your comfort? And then let's just say the people that are around you don't just not believe, they hate and kill actively people who do believe in this, this God. How would it change you? It would change you dramatically. Every decision, every move you made, every choice would either be with the Holy Spirit and God in mind or you would give it up altogether to embrace comfort and safety. I said last week as well that over 30 times in the New Testament it says a blessed life is the one who engages and enjoys the fellowship of the suffering of Christ. Right? Paul tells us that. Philippians 3.10 I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death. If anyone, James 5.13, is anyone among you suffering, then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful, then let him sing praises. James 1.12, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life the Lord has promised to those who love him over and over and over and over again. The person who is blessed in this world is he who suffers for the name of Christ. So the enemy doesn't need to get you to kill or steal. He doesn't even need to get you to curse the name of God. He'd actually rather you say you're a Christian and then just stay comfortable. You hear me? He would rather you call yourself a Christian and then never do anything about it because that is so much more powerful for him At least if you curse the name of God, you stand for something. You take a step. You become uncomfortable around groups of people. But if you call yourself a believer and yet refuse to become uncomfortable for the name of God, well, then you're no no worry to him even a little bit, which is why. That's the tactic for America, right? It's not the tactic in China. It's not the tactic in South America or in Africa for Christians. But for America, the tactic is make them as comfortable as possible so that even the idea of of moving in a way that would cause suffering would be so abhorrent to them that they'll just retreat back into the shadows. Have you heard this preached before? This is what the enemy is doing to you actively right now, not to the church down the street, to you sitting in this chair. That's what he's doing. He wants to make you as comfortable as possible in a very prosperous nation so you will not move. And I'm not just talking going to another country and preaching. I'm talking going next door and preaching, telling them that Jesus loves you, telling them, can I do something for you? I noticed your weeds out here. Can I get them sprayed? I'm having someone spray mine. I'll have them spray yours as well. I'm talking the most basic, smallest things of becoming uncomfortable. I'm talking letting yourself be embarrassed. Think about it this way. If your children were lost, if they got lost, you're at an event and they left your side, 
Would you worry about people thinking you're weird because you went running through the crowd? Would you worry what they thought of you because you were going up to complete strangers saying, have you seen this child? Tell me, would you? No, not for a second would you worry. You wouldn't care what people thought about you because to find that child is the most important thing to you. Now imagine, why is it that we have the very thing that the world is looking for and yet we keep it hidden to ourselves because we're so ashamed or embarrassed of what sharing it might mean? Well, what are they gonna think of me on the block? I won't be invited to this, th- this event at work. I don't want them to feel judged then don't judge him. I don't want them to feel awkward around me. You see why comfortability is the antithesis. It is the enemy of the gospel, not the goal of the gospel. The blessed life is not the person with everything right and everything going well and their health and their finances, and that's not the blessed person. That is a person who is stuck and trapped. And I'm not talking about an unbeliever. I am talking about the believer. So, what do we do? This is going to be a short sermon, quite possibly the short, shortest sermon I have ever, ever preached, and I preached to junior hires for two, three years. Because this is less about me speaking and more about us moving and doing. And so I'm going to invite the band back out, at least the the keys, and we're going to spend some time in worship to the Lord. We're going to spend some time in prayer. And, And I want you, if God is speaking to you, if you feel his spirit beyond my words speaking to you, to let yourself become uncomfortable here in the final few minutes of our service this morning. You see, one of the greatest things that keep us as Christian men and women in the trap of comfort is pride. I'm fine. I don't need prayer. They, don't, they won't understand anyway. I'm fine. Let somebody, somebody else needs it more than me. Who am I to go and take it? You hear me? This is real. You know how I know it's real? Because I sat there since I've been six years old in church having all of these same thoughts. Poor kid. I've had these thoughts. I know exactly what it's like. I don't need this. I'm doing fine. Things are good in my life. Let somebody else. That's the culture I want to break, and the only way to break it is to start with us, with myself and the pastors, as, as we begin to humble ourselves before the Lord, as we begin to uh, fast since the beginning of the year um, in preparation for what the next few weeks would look like. And so this week is the first open week of corporate fasting, and so what we're going to do is on Wednesday, from sunup to sundown, we're asking you to fast with us from food. Now, if you have a medical condition, that means you have to eat somewhere between 725 when the sun comes up and 535, then try to get nutrients through a liquid. Suffer a little bit in that. But what we want is 
we want to be corporately in this place of fasting from food, something that is an idol and is a God to most of us here in America. And here's what we're fasting for specifically this Wednesday. We're fasting specifically for the youth of our area. Florence, Coolidge, Santan Valley, Queen Creek. Because we have one of the highest suicide rates amongst youth. And so we're fasting and we're going before the Lord and we're interceding on behalf of those who are considering suicide, who feel worthless, who struggle with this depression and this darkness over their mind, who can't sleep because they're so anxious and they're 12 years old. And we're going to stand in the gap for them. And so we're going to begin and we're going to pray up here. I'm going to invite our prayer partners forward. We've got prayer partners, and we call them prayer partners because what they do is they woke up early this morning, set time aside to begin to pray for you, and then before the service, they sat in there for 15, 20, 30 minutes and just prayed and said, God, who are you going to bring here? Who can I stand with in prayer? Who, what brother or sister can I stand with in agreement? What person has walked in here and they're going to hear these words and for the first time decide to give their life to you? Give me words, Lord, that are of you and beyond me. And then during the week, they spent their time on top of everything else they have going on just praying for this service and for those who might come forward, who might. Man, I want to hear from somebody like that. I want to go in front of them and say, hey, would you pray with me? Maybe you have something going on. Maybe you don't. But maybe you know you need the courage to reach out to neighbors. You need to ask for forgiveness because you have not been a good witness. Maybe the fact of the matter is there isn't a person sitting in this room, myself included, who doesn't need prayer to come before God in humility and say, Lord, what do you want from me? What are you doing? Lord, I, I repent. I know this is where I've been. I know this is who I've been. Help me be different. Help me to see who you are. So we're going to put to practice the words that we sang during worship and the words that I've spoken now. And, and I'm going to pray and then we're going to have an extended time of worship and I just, I want you to get up out of your seat. And if you need to kneel at your seat, then kneel. If you want to come forward to the altar, anywhere up front, and come forward to the stage and kneel and pray, do that. We have a lot of extra prayer partners all across here. And the pastors are up here and we'll have, if we have any of our elders in here, please come up. And if there's a line, stand in it. You stand in a line for a roller coaster, for a sporting event, and for a cheeseburger. My God, you can stand in line to pray with another brother or sister, right? So I'm gonna pray and then you're gonna move and we're going to see a move of God's Spirit right here in this place. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I lay down my pride before you. Any arrogance, any selfishness that is in me, God, forgive me. You know my heart. You know the wickedness that pre pre prevails in it. But I know that I'm yours. <laughs> I know that I've been bought by the blood of the Lamb. 
I know that you call me your son and that you're proud of me. And I know that you will sustain and uphold me, Lord. Lord, I want those men and women in this room to know those same things. So we cry out to you on behalf of our city. We cry out to you, Lord, and we speak right now in the name of Jesus against a spirit of depression, anxiety, and suicide, that it will not touch our young ones. I pray for the young boys and girls sitting at home right now, laying in bed on the couch out back, who feel worthless, that their, that their life doesn't matter. God, If the prayers of one righteous man availeth much, how much more so 250 men and women praying in agreement. So, Lord, we come before you. We will be ready, Lord. We will be ready for the shaking. We will be ready to let people know that it's worth any amount of suffering or trial, that it is for the glory of God let them see your love in us. In Jesus' name.
lights up a little bit if I could. Would you stand with me in the presence of the Lord? The scripture that the Lord gave me just a moment ago comes out of Exodus chapter 3 and says, Lord, the Lord says, I now I heard the cry of my people. I heard the cry of my children Israel and I've seen the oppression which the Egyptian has oppressed them and I will set them free. And today, when I was praying for you this morning, the word that I heard from the Lord for you says, I I heard the cry of the people across the land. I heard them living in bondage, being in the shackles of alcohol and of drugs and of, as you heard of depression. And I want to see them free. It's the heart of our Father to see them free. Do you agree? And then he said, I'm looking for my people to become available. I'm looking for my people to step in the place that they've never been in before. 
I'm looking for them to take up the banner of the Word of God and take it into their community and take it into their workplace and say, there is a God who is alive. There is a God who hears. There is a God who will move. There is a God who will set you free. There is a God who will bring deliverance to you. So you're in this house this morning and you battle depression and you battle, battle, battle. I want you to come. You need prayer. You need to be whole. You need to be free. If you're in this building today and you've never made the decision to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, why are you waiting? What on the world are you waiting for? There's a God who wants to make you whole. There's a God who wants to save you and set you free from yourself and from the bondages of sin. But this morning, church, I want to know, are you available for God to move upon you? Are you? Then I want you to make a bold move. You need to move out. There's something happens when you move out of your seat and you come into the altars of God. Something has pertains in your life, and some of you desperately need to move. So come. Say, Lord, that's me. I'm available. Come. Come, church. Come. That's it. Don't leave the building without having to come. And say, Lord, move on my heart for the sake of my community, for the sake of my workplace, for the sake of my family. God, would you move on my heart? Is that you? Then make your way forward. Make your way forward. Thank you, Lord. I couldn't make it any more clearer. The word that has come to you this morning couldn't be any clearer than it already is. You make the choice to flow into the things of God or you stay where you are. It is up to you. I want to be in the harvesting part of it, do you? Would you raise your hand, there are one or two to heaven with me? And you can still come in the end of this. But Father, we lift our hands and we lift our hearts to you. And we say, Lord, would you move on my heart? Say that to me. Say, Lord, would you move on my heart? I want to be available. I want to do what you want me to do. And I ask you today to move on my heart. Keep that up. And as your hand is raised up to heaven, today I bless you that the word of God will take new dimensions on in your life. And the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit will speak to you in realms that you have longed for for a long, long time. As you walked in depression, as you walked in fear and in guilt, God says, the captive he will set free. And who the Son has set free will be free indeed. And I bless you with that. Leave this morning with the zeal of God in your heart. You say, God, things will change in my life. Make that clear decision. Make that clear decision this morning. And I bless you with that today. In the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. You are, the altars are still open. If you need prayer, please do not leave without being prayed for.